The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And sorry for missing another week, y'all. Um, the, the only excuse I can offer is that I was at C2E2, and so I was far too busy having fun in a geeky way. I feel like shaking hands with Travis... Is it Travis Willingham? Yeah, Travis yeah. Willingham, Ray Chase, and... Uh, oh, God, why am I drawing a blank on this Sam name? Sam Oh, you saw Sam Regal, too? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking of... Uh, Oh god, Robbie Damon. Robbie Damon, yeah. Robbie no, I, Damon. It that makes it sound like I was like hobnobbing. I went to panels and paid <laughs> no, to get no, autographs, he, yeah, but yeah. sorry, but like, you know, you talk to them. Yeah. It and was cool. Got compliments on my voice on my voice from some of my icons in the industry. So that was it was a cool time. Uh but now we're here and we're gonna do what we do best, which is think too hard about <laughs> video games and game design and narrative implications thereof. And I have a topic in mind, and I, I'm going to save the thing that put this in my brain for a little bit later, because it serves as a really good example of like exactly what I want to be talking about. Okay. But what I want to talk about is the idea of power creep and the role it plays in narrative. Now, hey Dylan, if you had to define power creep... What does that mean? Okay, I was hoping you would do it for me. Um, okay, I'll do, I can do that too. No, no, it's fine. I like because I have my own definition for it, but you proposed this episode, and I wanted to make sure that what I was thinking actually fit with well, your. Well, hey, definition. let's do this. Let's do this live. Let's make sure we're working with the same definition okay. right here, right now. All right. Um. So I would define power creep as over the the course of a story in which the protagonist gains more and more abilities and becomes stronger and stronger. So. I guess the archetypal picture of that is, like, Goku as a kid, like, he has a bow staff and can't really do much else. Goku at the end of Dragon Ball Super Saiyan Z Battle of Gods can turn into, like, a god and also fire a Kamehameha wave the size of a planet. Yep, that that about tracks it. Uh, The other definition, and this is, again, kind of that dichotomy I want to be getting into, is power creep in game design which is the idea that you run into with a lot of longer running games so you see this in card games like Magic the Gathering and Hearthstone but you also see it in things like World of Warcraft or other MMO games where any game where they have to be continually putting out new content and want players to be continually purchasing that new content they need ways to make that new content feel fresh and engaging and Often, as they do that, they end up introducing gear in a World of Warcraft game or other MMO or new cards in something like MTG or Hearthstone that are just blatantly better than a similar card or similar piece of gear that came before. 
So as long-running games like this go on, you wind up in a position of, like, 80% of the stuff in the game is obsolete, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Dylan, I'm glad that you brought up the topic you wanted, because that's the side of things I want to be engaging with more than the, the strict power creep of, like, you know, magic cards are stronger now than they were 20 years ago. And so, since you brought up Goku... Okay. That is actually the thing that got me thinking about this because oh. <laughs> well here's here's the thing. Yeah. They recently released a new Dragon Ball Z game and it's hey guys, there are like 87 Dragon Ball Z games and like 84 of them are the same game. <laughs> like It's true, he's right and he I, should say it. I have never been one. I haven't played the new one. The new one is called Dragon Ball Z Kakarot and it looks very pretty. There are a lot of very well-rendered cutscenes that do a great deal of homage to Dragon Ball Z and some of its iconic moments. Gameplay-wise, it looks pretty damn similar to Dragon, by Dragon Ball Z Budokai 1, 2, and 3, Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse, like all of the Dragon Ball Z arena fighters that have existed over the last 27 fucking years. But now it's an RPG. And that's where we get into it. Legacy of Goku. Except so here's, 3D. Yeah, so here's, here's the thing. Games and the stories that games try to tell kind of inherently end up involving a level of, like, the main character powering up over the course of it. In much the same way that a lot of shonen anime follow, like, you start at a certain level and then every fight is, like, the main character getting a little stronger, getting a little stronger, getting a little stronger. And... There's a reason for that. It works well for a serialized thing like a shonen anime. It also works well for a game where they want to be throwing greater challenges at you and throwing new experiences at you so your, you know, your abilities need to rise to meet that, right? Mm-hmm. Then we introduce Dragon Ball Z. And I want to go I don't know that like we've talked about Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z tangentially on here before. I do want to get out there and just say I really love Dragon Ball. Like, mm-hmm. the OG Dragon Ball manga and anime series are a delight. They're dated. They, oh, They're dated. They? A lot of the, <laughs> like, a lot of the things that they play for goofs aren't as funny to me now as they were when I was 13. Yeah, um, oh boy, yeah. But, like, there, there are some jokes that hold up pretty oh, well 100%. Today, but... <laughs> but all of, like, even with all of the, like... Who boy, this is a pervy, pervy manga baggage that it has. The story of the original arc of Dragon Ball is really clever and well told and fun and heartfelt and like mm-hmm. works very well. And then Dragon Ball Z comes in, and one of the first things that happens in Dragon Ball Z is they introduce the idea of power levels. Oh, right. And this Fine. is a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> It led to, you know, the, the famous, like, what's the scouter say about his power level? And then Chris Sabat screamed the number 5,000. It's really, actually really not good. Chris Sabat who screams it. I think it's uh, Brian Drummond. No, you're right. Yeah, Drummond, Drummond, Drummond gave the really, the really iconic read of that. But anyway, so they introduced this idea that, like, people and fighters in particular have a numerically representable power level. Yeah. And from there on... 
like that is a dumb idea because then you in- have to in- start introducing like okay well Goku has a thing called the Kaioken that makes him stronger but what does that mean oh it multiplies his power level by 2 at, and then, at that like, point the progression of the characters becomes a numerical value rather yeah. than a rather than a change in their fighting style or how they approach exactly. a problem exactly um, like, I guess another example I had, and this is mild spoilers for, like, the first 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes of Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars Episode Nine. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, I was watching A New Hope, and one of my, one of my friend's brothers uh, just kind of spoke up and was talking about, like, yeah, you're not supposed to just know how to do Force Lightning, and I'm like, that's the most reductive way to approach any type of story ever. Accurate. <laughs> Like the the force like force powers aren't expressed as like some RPG spreadsheet that like oh yeah. once I level up like forty five levels in, in my Sith <laughs> yeah. my Sith skill tree I get force lightning no you use force lightning because the character is angry and this is a way to visually reinforce that anger and the negative effects it causes yeah and to create on the story uh, to create a complication in the narrative based even on if it. the exactly. complication in the narrative is a complete fake out yep um <laughs> but so dragon ball z introduces this idea of power level and so not only is every new challenge that goku faces or his friends face like a challenge because it's like a different fighting style or a different way of thinking or a different kind of problem it's also a challenge because their numbers is bigger in walks mm, dragon ball z I sure kakarot. do love numbers and you know how dragon ball z kakarot is an rpg yes so you can you gain experience in this game by exploring the world and doing side quests and fighting like the red ribbon army robots that are flying around okay i, I kind of love that that's kind of sick see here's the thing that's good What's less good is that you'll run into points where it's like, you know, you're going along and you're gathering experience and you'll level up like once or twice. And then, you know, Goku has to have his fight with Frieza on Namek and the game goes, okay, well, you just had the cutscene where Goku goes Super Saiyan. Here's enough experience for you to level up ten times. Okay, could you repeat that? Sorry, real quick. (laughs) Yeah, you hit the story milestone where Goku's supposed to be stronger and and you will just be gifted an absurd amount of exp so that the next fight feels appropriately like a like face beating like it does in the anime okay that's kind of cheap but at the same time i kind of like that that that's kind of that's like that sounds cool as a fan of dbz yeah but it's like that's the thing is dragon ball z is a is a story that is so defined by this exponential power creep Mm-hmm. of the main character and of the threats that are facing him that even in making it into a game and even in making it into an RPG with progression and like resources you have to spend on like upgrading your various super moves and like making the Kamehameha stronger and making Vegeta's big bang attack stronger and all of this stuff they still couldn't make it feel like the source material without artificially pumping you up at predetermined points Although you could argue that that is essentially what the source material does. Yeah. Or, okay, okay, I see, I see where you're getting. Yeah. What, where, you, and so, where you're going. And so what I want to talk about yes. is I want to talk about games that do interesting things with the sort of requirement in, like I was talking about, you need to kind of have your character get stronger over time in games. You need to have a sense of, pro- of forward progression and a sense of strengthening 
for mm-hmm. most games, especially like action type games, to work. Yeah. And I just really was let down by the way that DBZ Kakarot handled it just because it felt so arbitrary. Got it. But that got me thinking about other games that I thought did a very good job of this kind of thing. And so that's what I want to what I want to chat with you about. Okay. I have one right off the bat if yeah, we wanted to jump right into it. So let's talk about The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Okay. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see where you're going, and I'm excited right. for, to follow you there. Um, and so, like, I, I think, first of all, uh, disclaimer, I don't know what my disclaimer was. I, I, something about Majora's Mask, not like, the power scaling isn't power so much in, as your combat prowess, but so much, so, like, it, it's more the abilities that Link gets, and also, this applies to nearly every Zelda game, but I think the way Majora's Mask handles it is special, uh, because Majora's Mask is so... So little of Majora's Mask is focused on you doing heroic quests to save the world, and so much of it, so much more of it is based on you helping people. And yeah. I think uh, my favorite thing about Majora's Mask is that as Link, it, you know, you're exploring this world um, that's going to end in three days, everyone's scared and depressed and anxious and all these terrible things, and they also have other shit that's going on in their lives that doubles down on those feelings of awfulness. Boy, howdy, Majora's Mask is, was a prescient game that really predicted what it would feel like to live in 2020. Oh my god. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, as Link, you are exploring this world, and really your main goal is to do the four dungeons, uh, show up to where the final boss is, play a song and then do the final level and beat the final boss. But, you know, to do that, you have to help people. And then there are also side quests where you help people. And some of these side quests where you help people give you items that enable you to help other people. And so, in Majora's Mask, the power creep isn't so much Link getting stronger, so much as it is the tools Link needs so that he can help more people. You might not be allowed to go into uh, the Deku Palace, uh, Deku's are like these little wooden tree creatures. Uh, yeah, think like a grass Pokemon. Little itty bitty ants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to describe them. Um, and you, they, they are very private. Um, and they don't like uh other races poking around their business. But uh, that kingdom is in turmoil. The princess has been kidnapped, and so what you need to do is you need to be able to turn into a Deku scrub to go in, find out what's wrong, and then go through the necessary hoops to actually save the princess and save the day. And that's kind of like, that example right there is kind of a, on a smaller scale, like what Majora's Mask is all about. It's about Link gaining the power to change forms, to, to be able to enter different societies and learn them, and be able to help the people who are suffering in a way he might not have understood when he was a human with an outsider's perspective. Highland, yeah. whatever. Elf. <laughs> For, forest lad. Forest lad. Uh, actually, uh, those are the Kokiri. I will eat you. Mm. <laughs> Bone appetite. Oh my god. Bone apple tea. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually like, I hadn't thought about Majora's Mask that way, but it all, that also ties into the next kind of thing I want to talk about in not only is Link gathering the tools necessary to, like, do this helping, 
But as you play Majora's Mask, again, because you're, you're kind of replaying the same three days over and over and you're seeing these people's cycles, you as the player are gaining knowledge about what the cycle looks like. And you, you know, you kind of turn into Bill Murray in that one scene in Groundhog's Day where he's able to, like, perfectly predict everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, you down really, to the second. You really do feel omnipotent by the end of Majora's Mask. Yeah. And that's the other kind of half of power creep in games in particular mm-hmm. is the way that games handle your progression is usually on an axis between the Dragon Ball Z Kakarot method of just like your numbers getting bigger, your power level going up uh, in an RPG, you know, Final Fantasy, you level up your strength and magic scores get higher. And so now all of your punches and magics deal more damage very like black and white mechanical progression and on the other side there's the player skill and like how well you understand the mechanics of the game how well you are able to kind of grok the best strategies how well you're able to think and react to the things the game throws at you and majora's mask has a lot of that in having to kind of riddle out that puzzle that is the kind of clockwork mechanism of this world and where everyone's going to be at every moment And a game that I have been playing recently that does a really good job of kind of straddling a balance between those two uh, is I've recently been getting very much back into From Software's Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Ah, yes. Which is their, they're the developer of the Demon Souls and Dark Souls and Bloodborne games, which also do a great job of this. I, I know that, like, Sekiro's kind of a controversial From Software game, and I feel like Dakota, I can feel Dakota side-eyeing me as I say that, like, Sekiro's the one I'm most interested in. It's, it's my favorite. Oh, good. Okay. Like, here's the thing. <laughs> it, is, it is very different, and I'll, I'll get back to what I was talking about shortly, but it is different from Dark Souls, because Dark Souls, there's a lot more kind of options available to you as a player as to how you want to play or on like a micro level like you've got all the different kinds of weapons you've got you you get to pick where to put your stats and whether you want to put it in like strength so your strength weapons are better or decks so your decks weapons are better or like one of the magic stats or you know you've got a lot of choices on the micro level about how you want to play yeah Sekiro is much more about choices on the macro level Mm -hmm. like they take away a lot of that character customization you have your sword and then you've got like a suite of ninja tools that you can custom you have like skill trees that you can build out but which is kind of why i i'm more interested in sekiro because whenever i play dark souls or bloodborne i get Mm -hmm. i get option paralysis i feel that very much Uh, which is also why like i love fire emblem three houses but like i i play it in bits and starts because like Yeah. Old Fire Emblem, you you can just kind of jump into New Fire Emblem, uh, Three Houses specifically. You really, you don't have to, but like the way I play it, I want to uh, put a lot of thought into each character decision I make. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, <sighs> but Sekiro, I I like a lot. I I mm. enjoy that there is there's more choice as far as like, do you want to go in, you know, katana ablaze, or do you want to pop a piece of candy in your mouth that makes you kind of invisible and be more sneaky? Or do you want to, like, you know, do you want to really invest in making sure that all of your tools have a lot of different options so that you've got, you know, a trick up your sleeve for every situation? Or do you just really want to double down on being good at sword? And so that 
style of game appeals to me more. Plus, I'm I'm a sucker for the aesthetic of like Sengoku Jidai Japan. And so Sekiro like really hits that button for me. Yeah, I didn't want to say that because I was afraid people would call me a weeb. But (laughs) I'm in agreement. Honestly, like and I I talked about this in our group Facebook chat and I've, I've strayed from the topic, but I'll get back there. The sound design in Sekiro is incredible. Mm. Like the on the one hand, the music is beautiful and uses a lot of traditional Japanese instruments that would have existed in this time period, like melded with more modern compositional techniques and instruments, which is really cool. But then the sound design of the sword combat has such a cool musicality to it. And the like the sound you can tell from audio cue alone whether when an enemy swings their sword at you whether you just manage to deflect by holding the block button or whether you manage to get the parry timing correct and parry it mm. and it's like it's mind-blowing the sound design is so good and now i'm done gushing about sekiro and i'm going to get back to what i was talking about <laughs> um but from from soft's games have always done a very good job of balancing player skill with numerical progression Mm -hmm. like in Sekiro in Dark Souls in Bloodborne there are you have numbers associated with your character there are there are under the hood mechanics that increase as you play and as you accrue whatever resource it is that allows you to get stronger however that alone is not enough to do well in these games you also need to learn how the mechanics work and how to make the most use of the tools that you're disposal as a player and so the way that they balance that out i think is really clever and they always like every one of these games has an early boss that is what i think of in my head as the gatekeeper boss yeah and this this exists uh, there's a lot of rpgs with it there's a lot of action games with this but from soft and the fact that like they developed this formula of, of like you know failure is part of the game when you you are supposed to die you are supposed to fail frequently in these games so it doesn't feel as bad as it can in games where like you know you you die to a hard boss in like metal gear rising revengeance and you get a game over screen mm-hmm. which can feel kind of like oh man i wasn't good enough whereas in dark souls it's like huh that strategy didn't work i need to try again right like i need to do this thing differently and so by adding these like your numbers alone will not get you through this fight. And you like if you can't do this fight, you're not going to have fun with the rest of the story. So we're going to hold you here until the mechanics click and you're able to get through this fight. You as the player, your power level got to increase. It's not your it's not your game character's power level, it's your power level. Get better. And like we've talked before about like the difficulty discourse for lack of a better word surrounding, mm-hmm. you know, games in general and FromSoft in particular. And like do I think they could probably work in like an assist mode? Sure. And I would love to see that. But yeah. the fact that they are generally very good about not letting those brick walls come, you know, 20 hours into the game. If you're going to build a game like this, having one of those like, you know, you must be this high to ride this ride challenges early on is definitely the way to do it. I just want to kind of tack something onto yeah, the Sekiro. Of so this isn't nearly the same type of action game, but like I was going to mention Devil May Cry. Okay. Um, and what I wanted to talk about in Devil May Cry is how uh, in many character action games, uh, you buy moves and yep. 
you basically buy upgrades for Dante, but they're not upgrades in so far as they make him stronger. They are upgrades in that they give him more utility. They yep. give uh, so you can buy moves for your sword that allow you to do more things with your sword. Your sword is not actually stronger. Same thing with you know the nunchucks you might find, the different <laughs> styles that Dante has, like the motorcycle I'm, I'm that turns into twin chainsaws. You know, ah, uh, yeah, you know those kinds as of you things. Do. The <laughs> The the succubus that turned into an electric guitar that sends electric bats. Chris, you should really get Devil May Cry 3 for the Switch. Devil, Devil May Cry is the professional wrestling of video games. It, oh, it super is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is ridiculous and absurd, and I love it. But yeah, uh, so you were talking about how part of the game is failing in learning enemy behavior and how to counteract that uh, i feel like devil may cry adds one more layer to that of you know you see what they're doing you're learning the the different enemies and how they work you're learning the most efficient ways to deal damage but on top of that you also are now thinking about all the different toys you have to play with so like i could hit you with this sword like like this or i could launch you into the air with my sword follow you up into the air switch over to my nunchucks do like a little like swing jump cancel off of you and then hit you use with my the guns Napoleon Dynamite, as I like to put it. Ah, uh, yeah, the Napoleon Dynamite classic double may cry move. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're you're starting to think about like, all right, how can I do this while I'm styling on them? What's that one Simpsons uh, clip of like hip hop dancing defense class? That's what double may cry is. <laughs> <laughs> Say some gangsters hit dissing your fly girl. You just hit him with one of these. Amazing. <laughs> oh my god, just reminded me of the dude I saw in the gym a couple weeks ago just like casually busting out some capoeira exercises. Oh my god. It was Yo, wild. Yo, get his number. I... What? <laughs> get his number. Like, not even as like a flirtation <laughs> thing. Just say, I know a guy who does capoeira. Yeah, no, that, it was fucking wild. I was like, I've never seen someone do this in person before. He like set up a little like, like ring for himself out of like traffic cones and like Mm. was just, like, doing breakdance kicks inside of it. That's rad as fuck. Right? Yeah. You know what else is rad as fuck? The playbill. The playbill! Ah! Look at that masterful are. segue. <laughs> we got uh, there. Chris, Good how times. are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. It's, it's, nice to, it's nice to slow the episode down and just check in, you know? Yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Work's, work's hitting me hard, but like, you know, it's, I've, been, I've been coasting. Yeah. You know what else hits hard? What? Big fucking robots. Tell me about That's Dude, true. You Remember Macross. Okay, well, Dude, You Remember Macross is a show from the... Oh, sorry. Macross is a show from the 80s. It's an anime. Uh, it's a mecha anime. And it's pretty cool. And Chris, we, we both have a friend named Coop, and he's pretty cool. So yeah. it's me and a cool dude talking about a cool show and talking about, like, uh, you know, talking about, like, the themes, like, character progression, character arcs. Um, and if you like mecha anime, I suggest you check us out at... I don't know what that noise was. I apologize. <laughs> Dude, you remember, uh, so, like, anchor.fm slash dude, you remember. That is D-U-D-E. 
Uh, We are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Hell yeah. Another great podcast that you should check out if you like sci-fi or actual play or just having a good time and listening to other people have a good time. It's a show called The Unexplored Places. Dylan and I are both on it. It Fuck is an yeah, actual we are. play. Yeah, it's super fucking fun. It's an I actual play so show much. currently using the uh the system Scum and Villainy to tell a story of middlingly competent space criminals getting up to no good and uh getting in over their heads. And if that sounds like a good time to you, and honestly, why wouldn't it? You should check it out <laughs> at do or wow, I almost plugged your show again. <laughs> at, you should check uh, unexploredcast.libsyn.com. Yeah, that's it. Or on Twitter, at UnexploredCast. Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great pot... (laughs) It's a great network made up of other podcasts talking about video games from a bunch of different angles, from uh, the news side to the development side to the fan side to the more analytical side like we do. And if you like our show, you'll probably like at least a couple of theirs. So check them out. You can follow them on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. Thank you also to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod for the support. It means the world to us that we have the support that we do and that we're not losing money making this show, and that's the coolest thing ever. So thank you, as always. And if you want to support the show and want us to uh, to keep doing this and be able to do it more and do it better, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the way to do that. And we're back. Oh, yeah. So another thing about power creep in video games that we haven't brought up yet, is that sometimes it's just really fun. And I'm thinking in particular, I've, I've been thinking a little bit more about Castlevania than usual recently. Oh, what really? With, uh, yeah, what with season three of the Netflix show coming out. But also, yes, I've I been... I don't know uh, if you know this, but it is already out. Well, yes. It having <laughs> been coming out. I, I'd lost, I lost grammar a little bit there, but you know what I mean. I've also... I have taken to, and I don't know why this particular thing started, but I've taken to uh, putting on old VODs from AGDQ as my, like, background noise while I'm at work. You know what? I feel that. And that led to me watching a couple speedruns of uh, Castlevania Aria Aria of Sorrow and Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Castlevania Aria of Mario? Aria of Mario. Castlevania Mario of Sorrow. Uh, It's just it's just Richter Belmont beating the shit out of Mario for like two hours. Um But in addition to being just blown away by like fucking speedrunners and the degree to which games are breakable, it also reminded me of like I I have not beaten it yet, but I I played a fair amount of Aria of Sorrow because Dylan was kind enough to gift me a copy. And there is little more satisfying in any game, but Castlevania does it very well. Than Are we like, talking about soul collecting? Well, I was going to say, coming back to an area that mm. kicked your ass early in a game, in the late game. Yeah, and just stunning on it. Yeah, and like, this is, this is a small thing. But it's a thing that, like, especially a game that is challenging, and like, the Castlevania games can be very challenging. Sekiro doesn't really let you do this, but a lot of the Dark Souls games, you know, you'll end up backtracking through earlier areas after you have long outgrown them. And just being Mm -hmm. able to come back to a spot that, like, absolutely put your butt in a dumpster early on and just, like, cakewalk through it is so cool and is such a feeling of, like, I get why not every game does it. I get that, like, there are games Mm -hmm. where they don't want you to ever feel like you've completely gotten the upper hand. Uh, Chris, I actually want to ask you, have you ever 
played an RPG where there's a new game plus feature where you inherit all of your stats in all of your uh, weapons? I have not. The mo- most of the new game plus style things I've played are ones where it's like, now it's time for the real action to begin. Oh, so like, yeah, yeah, From Software does yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, um, so Chrono Trigger does that where like you just have everything and it's because Chrono Trigger has like 16 endings and you get a different ending based on like like once you beat the game the first time uh you can basically challenge the final boss at any point in the game um and you get a different ending based on when you challenge the final boss okay that honestly i love that and i love that like the the, that new game plus mechanic for that purpose yeah because that serves as a like I did a whole solo episode about my opinion on multiple endings and, like, discourse surrounding them. If yeah. you're gonna do it, that's a great way to do it, because it cuts down on the amount of extra bullshit that the player has to go through to experience all of them. Right, right. And I really, I really like that. I need to play Chrono Trigger. It's been sitting in my Steam library for a very long time, and I haven't gotten to it yet. Honestly, I, I made it to the end of the game, and I, I need to start a, again, because, like, I just didn't give it the time it deserved. Yeah. Yeah. I really I really enjoy it. I really want to revisit it now that I've gotten super into Dragon Quest. Because, like, when I when I first played Chrono Trigger, I was expecting it to be more Final Fantasy VI, and it ended up being more Dragon Quest six or seven, and that's not what I was looking for at the time. Right. Do you have anything else you were thinking about? Uh, yeah, the, the, the other the other RPG that has uh, New Game Plus mechanics is Vagrant Story. Ah, Dylan's father. <laughs> My father. <laughs> ah, yes, Sir Vagrant Story Gregory. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to like dwell too much on on this, but uh, in in Vagrant Story, uh, certain events happen at the end of the game, and you get a key that unlocks all these doors that you couldn't open on your first playthrough, and when you do them, they're challenging bonus dungeons. However. For most of the game, you you inherit all of your stats, you inherit all of your your weapons, all of your weapon stats, because your weapons have very specific stats. Um, And so, like, you can breeze through the main story of the game uh, if you didn't, you know, somehow fluke your way through the first playthrough, because Vagrant's story is very difficult and obtuse. But I I don't know, I I just thought that was interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to dwell on that too much, I just remember saying there were two games I want, like, that did that with new game plus that i can think of off the top of my head i feel like there were a couple more but like you were saving the goku one and then like i said dragon ball at the yeah, start you made, of you the made episode me, you made me bust my bust my dragon balls a little earlier than i was anticipating um, okay uh i i did have one that i was saving yeah go for it yeah so um this isn't really power creep so much it, like in terms of a mechanical way but like mm. in in terms of like story yeah uh so in in the old Nintendo 64 game, Sin and Punishment, Successor of the Earth, yes, that is a mouthful, I understand, <laughs> uh, you play as, God, how much of Sin and Punishment's nonsensical story do I want to go into? So, in Sin and Punishment, you are fighting bad guys. Bad, bad boys. There are bad guys that are the United States Army, and then there are bad guys that are uh, aliens, for all intents and purposes. Uh, and you get to the end of Sin and Punishment is uh, about 10 levels. And the first three levels are these very straightforward 
run and gun levels. The third level is actually like a fun little elevator segment. And then when you get to the fourth, when you get to the fourth level, uh, you have a little boss fight on the roof of the building you were riding the elevator to get to the top two. And you, you kill the boss, and then she falls off the building. And then she turns into a kaiju. And then you turn into a kaiju. <laughs> and you're like, and so the, the game has this sense of momentum that just kind of stops. But because the stakes of the fight have changed, you're no longer like running and gunning. You are standing still as you are fighting this boss. However, this boss is a friggin' kaiju, and so are you. Um, and so, like, Sin and Punishment does this, and it's a very interesting way that it keeps its momentum going, even when, like, the action itself kind of slows down. Because that, that kaiju boss fight is actually less intense than a lot of the fights you've done up to that point in the game. But the scale of it is so massive that it just, it keeps it going. That's really cool. And then, and then you switch over to another character, uh... The first main character's partner who's trying to figure out how to change him back from a kaiju. And <laughs> that's like that's all pretty straightforward. Uh run and gunning. There's a turret section, um, more run and gunning. And you you basically run and gun up until the end of the game where you play as the main character as a kaiju again. But this time instead of like it being like I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase this, but like the final boss is a love letter to space invaders. You are a kaiju. Uh you are so big that, like, you kind of... Fuck, how do I even... You are a kaiju. Um, the... You have to defend the Earth. There is another Earth that is firing missiles and rocks and shit at your Earth. What and you have to fuck? attack all of the... I'm gonna send you a clip of this final boss, dude. It's so fucking, it's fucking like, mi like, missile defense? It is missile defense. It is, uh, space invaders, whatever you want to call it. Holy um, shit. Right. <laughs> Like I was trying to find a way to like accurately describe this, but this it, is, it is so it's Space Invaders Star Fox. Yeah, yeah. And so like, you know, again, Space Invaders is like the first kind of shooting based action game. Uh or at least the earliest one I can think of. So it's it's very basic, but like the fact that like they are able to present it in such these crazy apocalyptic uh Yeah, that's rad. Like again, it's, it, it's, it's that also idea definitely of got momentum. It's definitely got shades of uh, Missile Command. That's the name of the of the game. Yeah, I was I was trying to remember it, and I, I was, I was like, hoping it's not Missile Defense. Know. It's Missile Command. If anyone knows like pre NES video game titles, I knew it would be you. <laughs> um, I do have a brand. It's it is true. Yeah, and so I I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit because Sin and Punishment story is like very hard to follow. But at the same time, like, when it hits those high notes, like, those high notes are very crunchy and mechanical and lovely. Yeah, no, man, that's cool. What a, what a creative, like, concept for a final boss. Yeah, it's, it's really... Okay, I, I gotta stop gushing about it. Also, I gotta yeah. play the second game so I can talk about that at some point. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, I actually had one last thing for Power Creep, if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, hit me. Okay, so let's talk about Resident Evil. Um, I feel like we've talked about Resident Evil a bunch of times on this uh, podcast, but I think to reiterate an old point, uh, the thing that makes Resident Evil great is that you start out with very little. Um, you are navigating a mansion, usually, sometimes, you know, it's... You are navigating a space that you are unfamiliar with. There are locked doors and blocked passages everywhere, and 
you don't have any ammo your uh your methods of self-defense are very limited um and the power creep of a resident evil game is both becoming more familiar with the space just like in dark souls but also the as the game opens up you will generally get more and more powerful weapons uh my favorite thing about resident evil uh specifically like resident evil one through one through three yeah is it's a slow transition from you know something like night of the living dead to something more high action octane like high octane action like terminator or aliens or something that is more empowering yeah yeah this this seems like it's going to be a pretty short episode, but like that's that's all I had to say. Yeah, I I do have one more thing that I want to I want to kind of loop back to. Okay. Um, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the other side of power creep is this idea of like you know as a game goes on and people want you know you want people to get more and more content related to it. That content has a tendency to increase in strength, and on okay. the one hand, that's dangerous from a game design perspective because suddenly if like if only 10% of the stuff in your game is actually viable, that's not great. Right. However, it does serve the purpose of, for something like World of Warcraft, there's the idea of, like, you know, if someone is getting into World of Warcraft now in 2020, first of all... God bless you. Yeah, like, chase that bliss, because <laughs> Lord knows I don't have the patience for that. Man, I um, was born in the wrong decade. I wish I was around when World of Warcraft was popular. Here's the thing. I was, and I wasn't even into it then. No, I know, but, like, I'm just, I'm trying to imagine, like, a Gen Z kid who's, like, yeah. watching all of his friends play Fortnite and is like, man, it's just not the same as World of Warcraft. <laughs> Yo, this is the, I, if you're out there, I love you. Oh. <laughs> he's playing on, like, the fan servers. Oh, my God. He's, he, he downloaded WoW Classic. Yeah, with, like, the WoW boomers. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but, like, if, if this hypothetical perfect child exists, <laughs> and he's getting into World of Warcraft today, like, what an aspirational thing to see someone roll in in their, like, like I, I, I'm gonna tip my hat, I don't know anything about World of Warcraft. They roll in, like, some paladin rolls in and his, like, Wrath of the Panda Lord limited edition raid boss armor, and that kid's like, someday I'm gonna be that. In games like that, where there it's been around for so long, and you have like legacy players, their presence serves as a kind of like, you know, they're that next challenge in your shonen anime arc that you have to figure out how to overcome. Mm -hmm. And same deal with something like, you know. Magic the Gathering, where, yes, there's power creep in cards, and there are cards that are coming out now that would never have been printed when the game was released, although there are also cards that were printed when the game was first coming out that would never be printed now, um, because they didn't know what they were doing yet. Um, <laughs> that, like, depth of everything that's out there, while, yes, there are some cards that come out that are just blatantly better than cards that have come before, that's not as common as cards that are just, like, differently powerful and so as that power creep mechanically is occurring it's encouraging the other side of it the player skill increase to kind of rise to meet it and to to rise like if you're really into magic 
you're trying every time a new set comes out, you're combing through those cards as they're being announced, trying to figure out what the best combinations are going to be and what kinds of decks are going to be viable in the format and all of this kind of stuff where like, I guess what I'm what I'm kind of coming back on this is even when it's imbalanced, even when it seems like the design of a game is hinged overly on the player skill side or overly on the mechanical side, I think that a lot of the best kind of like progressions in games come a lot about where like there's a tight relationship between those two ideas, if that makes sense. Like an RPG where mm-hmm. everything hinges on your numbers is not going to be fun. Mm hmm. An yeah. RPG is at its best where, like, your numbers are getting better, which allows you more, maybe more control and maybe more options, but, like, you still need to make the right choices. An yeah. action game where it's all numbers, not so great. An action game like the ones that FromSoft comes to got make, it, where, like, the numbers it. are important, but you need to be there increasing alongside it. Like, yeah, ideally, the- ideally, your understanding of the systems is what expands. It's It's not just, like, a... I can just nuke everything because I've invested enough time in this game. It's not just, it's time to fight Perfect Cell, here's 50,000 XP. Yeah, yeah. Although, I will say, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot puts so much respect on the Gohan versus Perfect Cell fight. Okay. Uh, I'm actually gonna look up that scene. Like, before I do that, Thank you all for joining us for this week's episode of Backstage Gaming before I bombard Dylan with Dragon Ball Z Kakarot footage. You know what? That's fair. I'm sorry, guys. I wish you could hang out with us, but we're too cool talking about Dragon Ball Z. We're too busy being adults (laughs) geeking out about Dragon Ball Z. But until next week, thank you so much for listening. It's been a great time having you here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's one that, like, I didn't really know where it was going to go, but the topic popped into my head and I wanted to, to spit it out there. So, yeah. Thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. If you like what we're doing, you can always find us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and at our website, bsgpod.com, where you can also get in touch with us with our contact form or find out a little more about us. And wherever you find us, remember to leave a rating, leave a review, and tell everyone. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog. Dogs need podcasts. Hey, there's my billion dollar idea. I feel a like you've, you've done that dogs. joke already, but I like, you know, what? Have. It's, it's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dylan, where can they find us on social media if they want to do that? Oh, well, if you want to find us on social media, you can hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. And if you want to talk about us, uh, you know, get our attention, you can use the hashtag BSG pod. I am so glad I nailed that one because last week's was rough. (laughs) How much of that did you edit down? Because I know it was like three whole minutes. A fair amount. (laughs) Thank you. Um, also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. Um, if you want to check out his stuff, you can hit him up on brennan-french.squarespace.com. I don't know if you can hit him up there, but you can check out his art. Um, that is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts. 
You should also check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio, Volume 1, Instrumentality. If you like that, you should also check out the rest of his music. It's a lot of great electronica. He also does some production work. I know that he recently did production on an EP that came out called BioWolf. I can't remember the name of the other artist off the top of my head, but if you search BioWolf on Spotify, you'll find that. Or you can just search BioQuery, that's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y, to find all of his stuff. You can also find his stuff at soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. Thanks again to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. If you like our show, you'll probably like some of their shows too, so go check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you again to our patrons over at patreon.com slash BSGPod. You did this. This is all your fault. And if you want it to be your fault too, head over to patreon.com slash BSGPod and give us money. That's all Wait. I got for this week. Uh, Please, that was sir, more shameless than our shows points. usually go, but... <laughs> Uh, anyway, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. We love you. Bye.